from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 114. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Oh, hey, ciao, Mike. And Stephen Hackett, it is your day. It is your evening. You've got the event that you've always dreamed of. Hello, Stephen Hackett. <laughs> That's, that may be going a little far. <laughs> <laughs> the Macintosh, everybody. Yeah, they still make one of them. At least. So, yeah. So we're going to skip follow-up this week. Uh, as you might imagine, we have a lot to cover. Uh, but it will return next week. I want to talk a little bit about the lead-up to this event because I think it's interesting to talk about um, framing and these things. So uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, <laughs> someone found images in Sierra of what ended up being the MacBook Pro with the uh, touch bar in what seems to be some sort of like Apple Pay framework folders. I, I, in my blog post, I actually found where it is and put the path. But, um, you know, it, it shipped in 10.12.1, which is really unfortunate. Uh, doubling down on secrecy doesn't count if you're a software developer, I guess. I mean, clearly an accident. Like, I feel bad for the person who did this. And then got fired. Uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about that. And um, I think that would have happened in old Apple. Today, I'm not so sure. Uh, I don't know if they would have been canned or not, but they definitely had a bad day, uh, regardless of what happened. But it leaked, and they really took some of the edge out of the surprise, obviously, but um, kind of painful when it's in Apple's own software. Yeah, it was uh, less than ideal, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially now, like in hindsight, it was like this was the main thing, pretty much the, like, the only thing that was really big today was like this innovation. Plus, it shows off a lot of the design functionality and features of this product and also set the bad tone of this doesn't have an escape key which everybody was really upset about for like two days Mm -hmm. right and then it's just like everyone going into this who really cared about the macbook pro had a poorer version of it like in their mind (laughs) so it's you know this is the problem with all of this stuff like how the the narrative gets twisted like the 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 macbook do you remember the macbook with the one port we were all like, we were all hating on it before it even arrived because we knew it had one port. I mean, even after the story was told, there wasn't really a great reason for it. But like, there just was nothing that we're able to, you know, there's, we're all just getting our own minds made up about it before we could even see it. And that kind of happened here. So I can't imagine they're very happy at least. Yeah, but I mean, we we already knew the touch bar was coming. So, I mean, yes, it was a leak and it's less than intentional, especially when it looks like someone just forgot about a, a bunch of graphic assets in a folder. But I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, we the press knew it was coming. Normal people don't go onto Mac Rumors and say, oh, look, they found some f- f- images in a folder in the Finder. They don't even know what it means. So, I mean, it, it was mostly a leak for people in the know, which is us. And I don't think it's a big deal. Honestly, sometimes I think Apple doesn't want surprises anymore to the extent of the kind of features they know the press and the tech nerds are going to obsess about. Like the headphone jack, for example. Obviously, it was no you know, uh, real leak when it first you know, got out to the press. Because I feel like sometimes they just want to get the, the most... Uh, the aspects that they know people are going to criticize... Let let that sink in for a few days or for the headphone jack a few months and then do the event as usual and focus on the software, focus on what it means. That's how we view it. 
to your point, the leaked images lack context, right? That like the escape key thing, like in the human interface guides, that key is supposed to be there basically almost all the time. But without that, without the full knowledge of what Apple is going to do, then we all sort of run around with our, our hair on fire and we're going to get to like actual responses to the thing. But I just, when I saw that leak and like, yep, sure enough, it's sitting, you know, on my SSD and everyone else's, it's, um, it's a real, uh, unfortunate event. One thing that like the best kind of way for something like this to break is for it to exist on all of our computers. Right, like it's quite possibly the best way for our product to be leaked accidentally is we all have the image if we update it to Sierra, right? It's like <laughs> the best possible way of and something leaking out is it's like it's a Trojan horse. We all have it. We all have the leak. It's just if we found it or not. It's kind of hilarious. Right. It's very efficient. <laughs> Talking about efficiency, um, AirPods hmm. are not shipping this month, and we don't know when they're going to be shipping now. Yeah, that was that was weird, right? I mean, because we kind of hoped that there would be an announcement today, like they're shipping tomorrow. But nope, surprise, we got a statement to TechCrunch and a bunch of other people. They're coming soon now. If you go to the website, there's no more late October, just coming soon. And I mean, okay, you know, I remember the old Miyamoto quote that a, a delayed game is eventually good, that rushed game is forever bad. And if you apply that line of thinking to the AirPods, I mean, you know, it, it'll be better, hopefully, to have a good product than a rushed one, which happened many, many times with Apple in the past few years. So it's okay if they want to get it right. It's just the messaging, the messaging of, we want to remove the headphone jack, we want to embrace wireless audio, and then, you know, there's the AirPods are not coming. Um, the W1 chip with the Beats rollout has been all kinds of weird, like... The, the Solo 3 launched early. The other two models were not available until earlier this week. You still cannot buy the Beats uh, X, whatever is the name. So I feel like they made this big, splashy statement about we want to you know, move to a wireless future, but then you know now everything is coming soon. And there's, if you want to try the W1 experience, you got to buy the Beats products. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a shame. I was excited yeah. for them, um, and I was... You know, I'm going on a trip this weekend and I was going to get those or, you know, because I, I want Bluetooth headphones now because traveling means I need Bluetooth because it just won't work for me otherwise. So now I might end up with the Solo 3s. I might go might get those. I don't know. I'm going to see what's in the, available in the airport this weekend. It's a shame. Yeah. I mean, and the timing does make sense, right? If they If this event had come and gone with no word, then that would be in the news cycle with all these new machines, yep. but having it the night before, everyone kind of understands it. We're all bummed. I'm like, you guys, like, I'm super interested in this product. I was hoping that I could order today or tomorrow, but um, getting it out the night before means that it's not uh, caught up in the MacBook cycle. And like, it, it's, it's a very short cycle. You do it last night and then, you know, 16 hours later you have an event, then this just gets swept off the front page of every, everyone's Apple blog. So mm-hmm. it will, um, you know, they'll show up eventually. I'm hoping that they get them in plenty of time for the holidays. I think this is a sort of thing that would like make a great gift for Apple nerds in your life. So hopefully they only need a couple more weeks and then can get these things shipping. All right, should we move on to the event? What event? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Federico. I feel like you had that joke. You came up with it like an hour ago. It's just natural. It just, it just came out. It's just your natural you know? humor and wit. 
I guess. Yes, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was an event about the Mac. Did you see it or did you just, you know? About, about the what? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I would like to apologize on behalf of the continent of Europe for Federico's yes. behavior. It's, you know, young people and parties and drugs. It's all madness over there. there. iPads raining from the skies. So the event, the event opened uh, with this this uh, what I thought at least an excellent section on accessibility, and they showed uh, this video of people interacting with Apple products, and then you you kind of see the video itself is meta, and that the person actually editing the video is in a wheelchair and using lots of uh, accessibility options and and techniques to edit the video and. It, it really reminded me, um, you guys remember the video a couple of years ago, maybe at WWDC, with the... Um, it was the blind man who was in the forest, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I got the same like warm, fuzzy feeling watching this video as I did a couple years ago with that one. I thought it was a great way to start, start off the event. Yeah, there were a lot yeah. of things in there that I didn't know that the products did because, you know, like... Um, the most time that I've ever spent with voiceover was when we were getting the app ready with our stickers. I was working on all of the voiceover names, which was an mm-hmm. interesting experience as I was trying to get the phone to say things the way that they should be heard. Vitici seal of quality was a nightmare uh, to, to get it to say Vitici. That was defi- that was very difficult. Yeah. But <laughs> using that was like it was really interesting to me to see like how the phone feels with that feature enabled and something that i had no idea that it did was uh was giving some kind of prompts with the camera app because they showed somebody using it and it was like focused on small face and it was like oh my word that's amazing you know like that it can work that out and it can it can give that information i thought it was that was kind of mind blowing like there were all these little things that i had no idea these these products did because i've never needed them and have never tried them out yeah, it's 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 really great, and it it is um, it was sort of an announcement that uh, Apple dot com slash accessibility has been greatly overhauled. This video we're talking about is at the top of the page. Um, there's a, a a page and section about switch control, which is what you see uh, in that those last shots of the video being edited. And it's a really like really nice way that they're breaking down what they're doing. And I think a lot of people, including myself, when I think about Apple and accessibility, I think about iOS. First, and I think they've mm-hmm. made greater strides there, but highlighting that it's on the Mac as well, and that they care about it across their ecosystem. Like, there's even a, a section in here about um, HomeKit and Apple TV and what it can do in the accessibility realm. It, it's it's painting a broader picture than they have in the past about what they're doing, and uh, just two big thumbs up for me. Yeah, it was a really um, it was a nice thing to do rather than to wheel out some celebrities instead. You know. Like to actually make a meaningful video which highlights something about the products, which is important, but not everybody will understand or know anything about. So, right, thumbs up. Indeed. Um, so they they then went into sort of like state of the union stuff, which Apple used to do more of, and they haven't done it in recent events. They talked about the iPhone Seven and the Apple Watch. Um, got a couple stats: sixty percent of the iOS install base is now on iOS ten. And then we had a section, what I've called in my notes, of Tim shows us his emails. <laughs> this was excruciating 
to watch. Just Tim was mm-hmm. like, and our customers have emailed their photos, photos like this one, and this one, <laughs> and this. Like, why did he keep? I, I don't know why he did it. I, I, uh, time. <laughs> also, like, don't show us the most beautiful photos in the world, like of like people that look like models. Because I don't believe you. I don't believe that they were your customers. They may have well been, but I can't, I just can't believe it. Show me, like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? They looked exactly like the photos that they show on stage when they're trying to demo the product. It's mm-hmm. like, it, it, there is a little bit of, of precedent for this. Um, back in the day when like iMovie was a big push, Steve Jobs would use, used to show iMovies that customers had made and like there was a line somewhere of like um you know i may be such a big hit with customers it's so easy to use they just keep sending us their home videos which is even stranger right like (laughs) i could see like i took this i mean it's weird right and i would never do it like i would never send tim cook a picture that i took but it's even stranger like hey tim here's or hey steve (laughs) here is a movie that i made of my four-year-old you know running in the park i really wanted to share it with you ceo of a giant corporation (laughs) it's like i am very confident that you want to see this so I'm going to send it to you. Well, I mean, if you yeah. if you work in the marketing department, uh, you need to buy your devices. Do you count as a customer or as an employee? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I believe him. I believe him that they were. I mean, I, I take him at his word. But I mean, it's, it uh, would be silly to lie. But like, I just mean they should. I don't know. They should look more real. They should. The, the no, seriously, who are these people who email? Tim Cook about their baby pictures and the dogs and the vacations. Me. I mean, have why? either of you ever emailed an Apple executive? <laughs> uh, no, I responded to one, but emailed myself. No. Oh, look at me! Mm. Mm. What about you, Mike? <laughs> That's no, the I've truth. never. I'm sorry, I spoke the truth. I mean, yeah, Jesus. sure. Yeah, that that was the question that Stephen asked. Have any of you emailed an Apple executive after they emailed you first? Um, yeah insert humble brag here yeah other than me replying to tim (laughs) sending me his holiday snaps no i've never (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um they moved on talk about apple pay and transit and maps in japan which is a big move remember the iphone 7 has some specific hardware in japan to do contactless stuff so kind of a check-in on that i think it's called silica or something it's it's spelled like that something i'm not 100 sure of the pronunciation uh, talked about the Apple Watch, uh, recounted some reviews, reminded people that the Nike Plus Apple Watch with its abomination of a watch band is shipping uh, October 28th. Um, but I want to take a minute and talk about the you know Apple Watch Series 1 and Series 2. At least when I looked the other day, almost every model is still shipping like two to three weeks out. Like They, they seem to not be shipping in any great volume, release volume that can keep up with demand. So it's you you still can't really get your hands on most Apple Watch models like if you want one today, which they didn't I mean they're not gonna say anything about that didn't even come up on the quarterly call yesterday, which I thought that it might. Um th- you know, some supply and demand thing there. But right now if you want a, an Apple Watch series two, you can go into a store and they have limited uh limited options in the store, but if you just want to order one online, you're gonna be waiting for a couple weeks still. Good still it's good been thing. like a month since good thing maybe like for apple uh, maybe i mean who knows who knows right if if they've if they've only made 8 but they've only <laughs> but they've sold 16 they would still be behind right like you don't yeah. know what the numbers yeah. are but it's um it just it, that just popped in my head of like oh yeah those things are still slow to ship but um i don't know none of us have ordered new watches so i guess we can't speak to that mhm 
Yeah, I, uh, I was going to. I'm not going to now. Like, I don't need it. I'm fine. Yeah, WatchOS 3 makes the original hardware fine. Like, yeah. It, it's totally usable. My battery life is still great on the on the, the bigger of the two. Like, I've got no complaints. And I, if I was a swimmer, it'd be different, but I'm not. So I'm not worried about the, the waterproof stuff. Adina had like two or three weeks where it was dying every day on the 38, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Which is which is weird. It's even weirder. Yeah. It's like inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some some people on Twitter complaining about that. Maybe an update took care of it. I mean, yeah, knows? good point. Yeah, 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 good point. Um, what is the the Apple TV stuff? Federico, can you walk us through that? Uh, basically, they announced this new TV app, which is called just TV. Um, so first they started with some numbers. The TVOS App Store has like 8,000 apps. Uh, Minecraft is coming to TVOS before the end of the year. And they showed this uh, 1,600 content apps, which are basically like video services, you know, entertainment apps. And there was Twitter on stage uh, showing off live video. Not Vine, which is being killed off. Uh, mm-hmm. But Twitter was showing like American football, whatever it is that Americans call that sport. Um, it's on. finally kind of made a little bit of sense to me why Twitter ever made this bid in the first place. Like, I, there was news about this a while ago that they'd bought the rights to NFL games. It make no sense. Like, why would they do that? If this mm-hmm. is something that they want to do, this makes a little bit of sense. I think uh, I saw Jason Snell tweet that he would like to do this during something like the Oscars which I agree with, like a big event like that where there's kind of like not a lot that you need to pay attention to. Maybe having Twitter up, like scrolling through and seeing what's popular and what's trending about the things that are happening might be kind of fun. Um, I can't think of anything that I enjoy to watch on the television that I would like this experience for, though. I don't know if Agreed. people that enjoy sports would want this. I, I don't know. I think yeah. I think Casey seemed pumped about it on online earlier, but um, I've never I'm trying to think. I think during the first presidential debate, I watched it on Twitter for a little while, and it. I just got to a point where it was distracting to see video and then a bunch of tweets from like selected accounts go by, and it was kind of like too much stuff coming this in on the web or something. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, for me, like. I mean, I, I like any other young person uh, in air quotes will often watch TV or movies like with my iPad or iPhone, like looking at Twitter, looking at Slack, like the, the second screen thing is, is something that I do. It's probably not good for my attention span, but something that I do. And so like for me, like, do I want to watch a game and then watch other people's tweets or do I want to watch like the people I follow tweet about it? Right. Like, do I want to watch yeah. a presidential debate and like follow my political nerds? on my, my Twitter list for politics, you know, like for me, it, it only really, it doesn't really do what Twitter was designed to do. Cause it doesn't give me interactions with people that I choose to follow. Like that's kind of the whole point of Twitter, but I mean, they're going to be out of business in like six weeks. So it doesn't really matter. But, um, it was strange to me that it got so much attention today during the event. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Anyway, um, I'm, I will try my best to explain this as someone who doesn't watch video on the Apple TV. Apple is making a new app called TV, not TV Guide or List or something, just TV, which aggregates content from multiple apps in a single place. And there's a bunch of sections, like your favorites, your library, or for you, which in this case means 
you can resume videos you've started watching and then paused, or there's uh, some curated sections from Apple editors picking out stuff for you. And all of this content comes from uh, different apps. So it's like a, an aggregator for Apple TV content. And when you click on, for example, like a thumbnail or Game of Thrones, then you're taken to the HBO Now app. So it's like, a, forgive me for the use of the term, like a launchpad for multiple Apple <laughs> TV apps. And it's meant to be, I guess, a quick way to see what you should be watching without having to navigate uh, the Apple TV interface. I just found it funny that the future of TV is apps, and now the future of the future is an app for the apps? Kinda? You know? What, what this felt like to me is Apple Music and Apple News. Like, yeah, it's the continuation of that strategy of, like, Apple creating a, a hub for stuff, and I know music is, a, is, well, is my, slightly different. My question is, why is this not the main TV OS interface? Why does it need to be a separate app? It just feels like the interaction model of TV OS, and, you know, to an extent, even the Apple Watch, is so based on the iPhone that Apple is not even trying to optimize for the different types of devices that they make. So everything is kind of like an iPhone, and then on watchOS, they did a bunch of updates. And now on tvOS, they're making an app. It seems to me like this should be the main interface of tvOS. Because when I want to, when I turn on my Apple TV, hypothetically, because I don't, but when I turn on my Apple TV, I want to see quickly what should I be watching. It's like when you go to the YouTube homepage. Imagine if the YouTube homepage, instead of being recommendations and a bunch of things collected from multiple places, were just a list of your subscri subscriptions. And then you need to go to a separate YouTube website to see what's hot, what's trending, what you should be watching. It's like Apple is tackling this problem backwards. I don't think it is a stretch to imagine a world in which this was supposed to be that. Like when the Apple TV was a subscription service that you paid for from Apple, but they couldn't get that done for whatever reason they couldn't get that done. And this kind of feels like what that would have been, but it's not that. Like, for example, the icon, the TV app icon, is the same icon as the TV button on the Siri remote. And if mm -hmm. I was following correctly, when you press that button, you go to this app now, and then you press it again <laughs> to go to home. What did it do before? It just takes you home. Okay. So, But it seems like now, like... It seemed, I don't know, there seems to be some kind of like bolted onness of all of this. It's like, okay, if Apple wanted to make this app, why did they make the iTunes app? Because the right? iTunes yes. movies app <laughs> does the same thing that this does. Like, I think that this was part of the original strategy. They can't, they shelved it. They made a new home screen, which had the applications and just gave the applications their their little homes as it would have been. And that all the video content, all video content was supposed to go through this TV app, but it couldn't do it. So they made separate apps because nobody would buy into the system, like the the providers. So now they've just found some weird way to kind of do this in the hopes that it will now force the vendors to actually go through with it. Like you'll notice Netflix is not part of this. Like, And I think that that is telling you a lot of what you want to know or need to know about this product. Mm -hmm. Super, super weird.
US only coming to the iPhone and the iPad as well yep. and not coming this month not next month but in December so again mm -hmm. coming soon I think the coming to iPhone and iPad as well is the other indication of the fact that this was the the like the bones of the subscription service because that would have been on iOS as well yeah it I agree with you Mike it feels like um like a half-hearted step and maybe that's because it's origins or something a lot greater yeah and this is just sort of like well we have this we're going to ship it as it is and and maybe they're hoping it's like a proof of concept right this works with the content we have and if you're in here you know we can say that your content viewership goes up after we you know feature you or something and then maybe netflix will be more willing to play ball my guess is, and I have no, I have no insider information on this. It's just a feeling, is that Netflix doesn't want to be shown with other providers side by side, like on evil, like on an even playing field. Like Netflix wants you to be just within their universe, yeah. and and for whatever reason they couldn't work it out to be in there. Well, but, I, I, yeah, I, I assume that Netflix, Netflix believe correctly or incorrectly that they are important enough that you should be in Netflix. Like Netflix's content isn't elsewhere. Like you go to right. Netflix to watch Netflix. You don't have your content mixed in with other people. Like Netflix is where exactly. you get Netflix stuff, right? And I think that that's, as you say, like that's the reason for it. And some of the other places like... Uh, you know, a lot of them, Apple, they're like related to Disney, so Apple can do whatever it does there. And, you know, I think that HBO are kind of coming along because Apple kind of worked with them initially and gave them different cuts and stuff like that. So I think that there's a good mm -hmm. relationship there. And HBO probably just doesn't care. They just want you to watch their stuff. And Netflix <laughs> cares more. Yeah. It, and so that's, you know, that's kind of a bummer. Like, it would be nice if this thing became a hub for everything that I want to watch on my Apple TV, but instead, like most of what I do on my Apple TV is Netflix. And I think that's going to be true. I think that's true for most people. It's YouTube for me. And that will be the same thing. You won't see YouTube in this either. Right. Um, so like this is going to become just another icon that I hide or I don't visit very often because I don't watch stuff on these other apps because I, and partially because I don't have a cable login. Yeah. Like I don't pay for cable. And so a lot of the stuff is built on like the single sign-on stuff and like you have an app based on your cable provider like that is still locked off to me as a cord cutter and the, the tv app just changes the way that it's formatted but it doesn't actually solve any of my problems with watching stuff on the apple tv like this is you know this this thing is a brands fighting against brands to say who's got the biggest brand Right, mm -hmm. that, this is what it is. Apple want everyone inside of their ecosystem. Netflix want everyone inside of their ecosystem and then the person who ends up losing is the consumer because everyone's brand's more important than the other. That's my feeling about this. I'm, I'm, I'm more upset maybe than I should be, but I just find, find it all a bit stupid. No, no, this is, it's disappointing to me. I mean, I, I want them to push this harder and they just haven't been able to make, uh, make up the ground yet. So for me, it doesn't really change how I'm going to use my Apple TV. It's not going to dramatically increase my usage of it. So it's, it's just kind of a, a different approach that is not going to, it's not really going to, changing my world now i already have the apple tv the way that it is i don't need it to be like this uh, you know i don't i don't need this like you already launched it the way that it is like it and it works fine right. for me but and it's not going to make federico fire his up anymore like no no, no his really. is still you know like leveling out a table i think in his apartment <laughs> not even plugged in anymore <laughs> no so i wanted to tell you i tried to use it last week fun experience i wanted to watch some brooklyn 99 on my apple tv love that's a good show yeah and uh, so <laughs> I opened this video player that I got on iOS, and I 
I assume I just need to tap the AirPlay icon. So I tap the AirPlay icon, uh, select Apple TV. And what happens next may surprise you because... The, <laughs> the, just, the, just the audio starts playing on the Apple TV. No video. Huh. I was like, you know what? I, I just I don't have time for this. I just send it to my Chromecast and it, and it was okay. So, yeah. How just while we're just talking about Chromecast, like super super quick follow up what about Google's Trojan horse of the Home app. Like Chromecast app is now the Google Home app. Like yeah, buy a Google Home. <laughs> such a pretty icon. <laughs> it was just such a strange thing to do. Yeah, I know, but the icon is pretty, Mike. Oh well, that's all right then. Yeah. All right. Should we take a break and then get into the main event? Sounds good. Okay. This week's episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Put quite simply, you can communicate smarter with Text Expander. It's smarter for you and it's smarter for the people you work with. You can use the power of text shortcuts to expand phrases and sentences and paragraphs, whatever you need in a flash. It helps you get through your work quicker. And when you use Text Expander in a team, it helps share all of that knowledge as well. So everyone stays up to date. Everyone is got the correct copy. They've got the, all the text that they need. It's all right there. Text Expander will help you eliminate your boilerplate drudgery. It's not just about expanding a like two paragraphs of text that are the same every time. With Text Expander, you can also customize all of this stuff with their use of fill-in snippets. So you'll be able to customize words and phrases. You can drop the cursor in places to copy and paste things. It's super, super powerful. Text Expander is amazing for standardizing and improving the written replies you and your team write every day. It helps you share consistent answers amongst the whole company or just helps make sure that you, when you're writing about the Mac, say Mac OS instead of OS X. I use, um, and one of the things that I really love about Text Expander is like people are able to share, I, I can't, like snippet groups that you can download. Like I have some old Brett Terpstra ones and Sean Blanc made some over the times, which will take things like company names and format them correctly with the right title case and stuff. Like for example, every time I type PlayStation, it correctly title cases it with the capital P and the capital S because at some point I put this in from somewhere. But you can put all of these in yourself. Like I have one that if I type iTouch, it expands into this big wall of text about how silly I am for even thinking that that was a product name. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it came from someone at some point. So like, you know, you can do this yourself. You can share it with others. And now like all of that stuff, like those things that I have, that's so much more powerful with the group subscriptions because now within a company, people can standardize around all of that. So you'll make sure that like if you have a company that you work with in another part of the organization, like a vendor or something, and they like their name written in a certain way, you can make sure that everyone on the team is saying it that way because Text Expander will automatically ca- like correct it. It's absolutely fantastic stuff. I use Text Expander every single day. You can try it for free for 30 days. And Text Expander subscriptions include software for the Mac, iPad, iPhone, and the beta of the Windows app as well. But we have a very special offer for you this week. Smile don't do this very often at all. If you go to smilesoftware.com slash connected, you will get a 50% discount on your first entire year of a Text Expander Live Hacker subscription. This offer ends on November the 15th. So go and try it out. Great company. They make great products. Go to smilesoftware.com slash connected for more info. Thank you to Smile for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So we got a Mac today. Oh, like two and a half Macs, but yes. <laughs> two and a half One Mac. Macs. <laughs> they 
let's we, can, we, can we just have a minute here? Yeah. Can I just share something with you guys? Yeah. Okay. I um, consider myself s- some sort of Apple historian, mm-hmm. right? I got a studio full of old Macs, write about them, have a YouTube channel. I did not expect Apple to go this route. Apple does not look back. You know, they did the 40 years in 40 seconds thing last year, which was supposed to be the last town hall event, but they were again uh, today, I guess because they didn't expect this event to be in the fall. But they they started this event by talking about the first Apple notebook, you know, the, uh, which was in October 1991, PowerBook 100, 140, and 170 were the three options. They just discount the Macintosh portable. Uh, if, you, if you haven't ever seen a picture of that, go look it up on Wikipedia. It is crazy. Um, but they kept like circling back to this, like 25 years since the notebook. He like, Tim pointed out that it was like the first keyboard forward design with the trackball, like below the keyboard and the palm rest. Like it was very strange. Like at the end, he was like, you know, one was it like one year of compute time on the PowerBook 170 is done in like five seconds on the new MacBook Pro. Like very strange couching of all this stuff. Why did they do this? Do you think was it? I don't just know because it the timing happened to meet up. I guess, or maybe they wanted, I don't know. Like, do you compare it with the MacBook Pro that you last updated a year and a half ago, but really like three years ago? Like, I don't know. Maybe they don't want to draw the attention to that it's been so long. So they just like do something really, uh, really oddball. Um, it was just unusual, I guess is my only point. I don't know why they did it, but not a move you see very often. Yeah. Uh, from Apple. Did you know this? You haven't mentioned this. Did you know it was 25 years since the first Apple Notebook no. this week? You didn't oh, know? Well, you got to step your game up, man. They beat. Really? This is your beat. It is. Well, they they did like a totally awesome uh, reveal video with like MacBooks flying through the air. It's basically so. if, if Apple said to you, you can direct a video, that's the video you would make. Right, yeah. like a hundred percent. That was it. It was just lots of old Macs flying around the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just give me the budget, and I'll make the old Macs fly around. Give me, the, give me a budget right. and the keys to your storage, and I'll go there and shoot a video. Give me, a, get me a crew here, and I'll make a video like that. I, I can certainly picture you doing that, Stephen. Cool. Just, just um, saying, if you want to change careers at some point, you know, there's a position open. Obviously, I mean, you you get to work every couple of years. But uh, it's the, maybe you can make a pretty cool video. I guess. I mean, if you know, it, it is cool, but it was just uh, unexpected. So, uh, real quick, let, can I, I'm just going to blast through like the high level tech stuff, and then we can kind of get into what's the most interesting. Um, two new models: MacBook Pro 13 inch and 15 inch. They're both, as you would expect, lighter and thinner. They clock in at three pounds and four pounds. They come in silver and space gray, none of your beloved rose gold or gold. Uh, no glowing logo on the lid, so it's like the MacBook with the stainless steel, you know, iOS-like Apple on the back. MacBook-style keyboard. Apple promised more travel, but from the hands-on that we've seen so far, it seems like it kind of feels more like the MacBook keyboard than the external Magic keyboard, which I have in front of me now that I really like. 15s are all quad-core i7. You can go up to 2 terabytes uh, SSD, which is super fancy and super awesome and super expensive. All of the legacy ports are gone. You have four Thunderbolt 3 ports, and those ports can be, any four of them can be used for power, Thunderbolt 3, USB-C, DisplayPort, VGA, DVI, HDMI, or Ethernet. 
uh, and I guess like uh, Thunderbolt 2 and USB, uh, USB 3. So you can adapt almost anything out of these things. The headphone jack is still there. The screen picked up the P3 wide color gamut. Speakers are louder. The force trackpad is bigger. 10 hours of battery life. I mean, the things that we expected all came true, right? There's no, I don't think there's any real surprises in the hardware other than the touch bar stuff, which we'll get to. But like the basic hardware, like what this MacBook Pro is, I think it's pretty much in line with what we were expecting. I think it's um, smaller than we thought it was going to be. Like, I don't yeah. really know how much I thought about the fact that this thing was going to be like 25% smaller. Which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's it's smaller like width and depth-wise. The whole thing is tighter. The 13-inch MacBook Pro is now smaller in in like size on your desk than the 13-inch MacBook Air, uh, which we're going to get to the Air in a little while. But there's lots of like weird overlapping stuff going on now. The... The I.O. is, is, you know, I wrote this thing last week um, kind of complaining about, like, this new world. You know, every time we do this, it means you have to adapt everything for a while or buy, buy a bunch of new cables. And I tweeted a thing about, like, $180 of adapters and a shopping cart at Apple.com gets you all the stuff you used to have. But, like, it is, it is the cost of progress. And Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C on the same port is really awesome. And it's great that you can use any four of them for power. Uh, or any of the other things you need, like how often, uh, you know, you would put a MacBook Pro down, the power would be like on the wrong side and the cable not being long enough, all that's gone. Um, but it does come at a cost. It comes with a real cost if you need adapters and dongles, but things like MagSafe for now are now gone. And I, I don't know about, about the two of you, but MagSafe has totally saved notebooks for me, you know, over the last decade. You know, having a computer on a table and a kid walks by or the dog, you know, runs by and pulls the cable and the cable pops off and the macbook stays in place that is gone like someone trips over your USB-C power cable on new macbook pro it is going to come off the table and that's something you have to you know it's not a big deal it's not a deal breaker surely but it's something that's different it's something worth uh noticing if that's like if you were like me i thought magsafe was brilliant it's like one of the, the smartest things they added to the to the mac notebook line um and now and now it's gone but you get the flexibility. The thing that worries me most about the loss of MagSafe is I don't know how many times it saved mm-hmm. me. So, like, I know that, like, basically every Apple laptop that I have ever owned has had MagSafe on it. And I wonder how quickly I will destroy a laptop. <laughs> right? Like, because I'm, I am 100% used to not caring about the power cable. Like, I pick up the laptop while it's charging and walk away with it, right? These mm-hmm. are just the things that I'm used to doing, and right. I wonder how long that's going to last <laughs> long for <that> me. Takes. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, the The other thing that's sort of notable about the, um, about the I.O. setup on this is that they are... And a lot of their demo stuff, like uh, kind of giving you examples of what you can do, they're pushing the external flexibility and capability a lot more than they ever have. So when the uh, Trash Can Mac Pro was announced 28 years ago, they <laughs> they were like, hey, you know, there's no expansion cards, right? Like we all complained about it. Um, you can't put new cards into the machine. They said, oh, you can do it all externally. And I don't think that ever really took off for the Mac Pro. Like you can you can get some like Thunderbolt and PCI chassis and stuff, but I don't think it ever really took off the way Apple wanted. And and they're here again now, 
being the same drum, not with PCI cards, but they had an example of like hooking up to this nice external display and some RAID arrays and like having all this stuff that you can mount. And because these four ports are identical and you can do anything with any of them, it is truly probably the most flexible MacBook Pro they've ever shipped from an I.O. perspective and the most powerful. Like Thunderbolt 3 is ridiculous and USB-C is really nice and flexible, but it comes with these trade-offs and you have to either buy a bunch of adapters or buy a bunch of new cables or understand that, you know, this is going to be a transition and you're going to need to maybe change some things in your setup to accommodate this new computer. But I think, I think at the end of the day, like once we're through that transition, this is a good direction. The the four ports are identical that you can do anything you want to with any of them that you have all these options, I think is, um, it's pretty nice. We just have to kind of get through this transition and, and pain period of like buying a bunch of stuff again that you already owned. Feel like I'm doing that more and more frequently. Like the frequency at which things are changing over, like the the march of progress is getting quicker. Maybe I'm just getting older, so it feels that way. <laughs> well, I mean, we had when they added Mini Display Port. You know, it was just for display stuff, and you could adapt, you know, VGA DVI out of it. But really, since Thunderbolt One showed up, which was on that same that same port, like it is now. Things have really been pretty pretty steady now for for several years, and you know the MacBook One slash MacBook Adorable ushered in this era. But this is even more complicated because the MacBook One only has USB C, so the Thunderbolt Three stuff doesn't apply to that computer, even though the port on the side of the machine looks the same and the plug in your hand is the same, and that's not ideal. And I would love if the MacBook would gain Thunderbolt 3, but the Core M chips that they use doesn't support Thunderbolt. So they're kind of stuck there. Mm. But it is like, if you have a MacBook in another machine, you may end up in a situation where like, you can't do everything you want to do because that MacBook doesn't have Thunderbolt. So it's something, again, you just have to think about a little bit more than in the past when everything was FireWire 800 and USB 2. It's like, yeah, it works or it doesn't. And now there's another layer of complication. Probably worth it because the speed is so much greater and the flexibility is so nice. But it is something to consider when buying a new machine or changing something in your setup. Like, what does this work with? What does it not work with? Uh, what am I going to have to change out to make this possible? Can we talk about the touch bar? Please. So, I think we knew a lot of what the touch bar was going to be, but there are, you know, the devil was in the details with these things. And I got to say, I think the details are pretty cool. I think this is a good-looking thing. We, do we know what type of display it is? Uh, I saw someone saying it's an OLED display. I think mm. they asked in the demo room, mm. and I saw someone on Twitter say, by the way, it's an OLED display. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think this is the Apple Watch, and this it's like Apple's march towards an OLED iPhone. Like This is how they're getting used to what this technology is all about. Anyhow, um, I think it looks awesome. Um, like, watching the Final Cut Pro demos and just all the little things that are happening, like the emoji, the quick type, uh, answering a call, like a FaceTime call. Uh, it all looked really cool to me. I think that it's a very exciting thing that I look forward to this type of stuff reaching out across the line a little bit more, right? Like I think that this mm-hmm. is a an interesting piece of technology that Apple have made that really starts to bridge the gap between iOS and macOS. Federico, before I ape your point that you I saw you tweet earlier, you should just say it about 
what this enables. I mean, it's a it's a very clever. I think it's a very clever way of bringing some iOS features, and namely the quick type stuff from iOS 10 to macOS without having to sort of make a hybrid computer where people have to touch the screen. You're effectively making a separate screen for a subset of iOS features, such as word suggestions or, uh, you know, like an enhancement of the shortcut bar that you get on the iPad with these custom buttons that change depending on the active app. Well, this is a, basically a glorified quick type and shortcut bar rolled into one mixed with some system shortcuts and some of the previous functionality from the function key. I think it's very clever. I think it looks great. And I would love to have a, the touch bar in Apple accessories, such as the Magic Keyboard or my dream right now in the Smart Keyboard for the iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's enough space. Mm -hmm. There's certainly, it could be powered by the iPad Pro, I guess. Uh, but maybe, you know, it requires uh, too much hardware at this point. I think it's very clever. I think it looks great. Um, I saw pictures of the like close-up photos of the touch bar. I think the black levels look fantastic. And it seems to have a slightly matte finish, which I think looks really, really cool. This is part of the joy of OLED. Um, I have no time today to talk about the, the Pixel. But there, obviously, it's an OLED screen. And I've been using a Twitter app, which has an OLED theme. And it's just the purest black. Like, it is the darkest dark mode I've ever used. I really love the, that, the way that OLED screens look like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I definitely miss the wide color gamut stuff because I think that's beautiful. But those black levels that you can get from OLED, it really is incredible. And when and it just it just looks like the screen's off, like you know, like the screen's off, but there's some text on it. It's very interesting, and that's how this looks, right? Like these look like buttons on a black background because the background is perfectly black. It's it's really really good looking. the The only thing I would counter that with some of the pictures, and I put a link to Mac Rumors in the notes. The Touch ID sensor doesn't look as integrated into the design as yeah. I had hoped it would be. Um, like it's not a seamless cover glass. Like the Touch ID is like a cutout next to it, and on the other end, um, it, it seems like there's some blank space to kind of make it uh, symmetrical, if you will. So that's um, that's something that'll improve with time. I think you know, it doesn't look bad necessarily, but it's like, oh, that's a different thing, kind of nestled in there next to it. But uh, yeah, they started this by talking about the function key itself, and they made this joke about this like console to talk to mainframes back in like the 60s and 70s, and real Dr. Drang type stuff. And <laughs> it was very similar to how they justified getting rid of the iPhone headphone jack of like, this has been around forever. We don't need it anymore. He did not use the word courage, thank goodness, but uh, it was kind of a similar approach. And the whole thing is powered by what they're calling the T1 chip. So we have the A series, the S series in the watch, the W series in the headphones, and now the T series in the MacBook Pro touch bar. Um, my sort of vague understanding is this is more or less based on the S1 chip that we saw in the watch, that it's a very self-contained system. They're using it to get the secure enclave for Touch ID and Apple Pay uh, into the MacBook Pro. Because that stuff is all is all ARM specific, you know. The Intel itself is not building a Skylake processor with a secure enclave that Apple wants to use, right? This is Apple's own thing, so it's kind of a little computer inside 
your MacBook Pro and it has this little screen that it ha- like it's a it's a separate system that macOS can talk to, but it executes its own code best I can tell and from what kind of what I've read, um, it is a system within your system and that's pretty interesting. Uh, in a world where like we don't have ARM Macs, like it's kind of the only way to go because Intel's not going to build this for them and and. Uh, this is something that uh, Apple can do with its silicone team that, you know, it makes perfect sense for them to do internally, right? Like, we'll take the Intel chipset to power everything, and then we'll build this little sidecar thing for the touch bar. We'll call it the T1, and, uh, you know, the two don't have to intermix. So I find that really fascinating from, like, the nerd perspective. So is the T1 powering the touch bar? I, I thought it was just powering the touch ID and the Enclave. M- my understanding is it, I mean... This is day one. My understanding is that it powers the the touch bar as well. Okay. That it, it at least sits in between Mac OS and the touch bar. And I think we will learn more in the coming days. But my understanding right now is that that's the case. But again, it's day one. Um, but they spent a ton of time in this event demoing it, of like how it would work. And it seems like this this touch bar has really kind of two main modes, if you will. You have... Uh, what it does varies on application and an application can put buttons on the touch bar. So they showed things like Photoshop and finder, which they called a power user app, which really just made me really hurt inside. <laughs> I uh, missed that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, let's look at a power application. Let's start with finder. It's like, Oh my God, like, what are you doing? Um, and you can put buttons down there and it'll interact with what's on your screen which is cool. But it also has a mode where a app can put a custom UI there. And so my favorite example is they showed Photoshop and the demoer, she had an image up she was working on and she had a, the color picker on the touch bar and she could just scrub her finger over it and pick a color and without having to use like one of the 10 million palettes in Photoshop. And it was a custom UI, like it's just like this band of color and she was picking yeah. from I like that she was saying um, that it was possible to edit in full screen without yes. any UI. And it's like, yeah, Super I guess cool. you can, right? Super cool. They showed uh, photos.app with a some sliders and some dials. They showed Final Cut Pro, which is getting a big update to support all of this, with basically the, a mini timeline there. You could scrub over your timeline or you could apply different effects. So this thing can can surface bits of the UI that may be hidden. Something like Photoshop, you know, it's got a billion things it can do. Uh, it can surface like content-aware options for you. Pull things out of menus and get them uh, underneath your fingertips. Or an app can display its own UI uh, with whatever it needs to do. Yeah, and third parties are able to. The, the here goes up and updated today, right, to, to have all mm-hmm. of the documentation necessary for how these things should operate. Right. Um, so that's that's all like that all seems to work much better than I kind of feared it might. Now I still have questions about like how distracting it's going to be if you're switching between apps and the stuff's changing uh, the corner of your eye all the time. So I was wondering about this because um, uh, I've seen a lot of people say this. Like I guess the majority of the UI will change when you're actually switching applications. Where yeah, it, there's things moving everywhere, right? Yeah, like when you yeah. switch an application, what's in front of your eyes has just changed. I don't think it would be that distracting if the touch bar kept like cycling through things whilst you've got an application open. Then it's going to distract your peripheral vision. But I think mm-hmm. if you're switching application, it's not going to distract you because your eyes are seeing lots of stuff move. 
Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But, you know, if you're in Photoshop, things could be changing all the time. Um, you can go back to the standard function keys by pushing the function button on the keyboard. So you get your normal uh, brightness and volume controllers, your mission control stuff. I love that they have sliders for those as well. Um, I do too. Because it is, you don't need buttons. This is something Jason mentioned when we were in Memphis. We were talking about this because the rumors were just saying, it's like, why don't they just have sliders now? And it makes way more sense, like, rather than these buttons. And I did like what the, you know, a lot of this stuff can be like, you know, we always talk about how does Apple tell the story. And, and I liked when Phil was saying, it was like, the function buttons have always existed. Nobody needs them anymore. So we've just turned them into other things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, why why should the volume be up and down increments from a hardware button. It makes way right. more sense to have more fine grain control over a slider like I do on iOS. Sure. You know? I think yeah, I think it's um it's a more natural gesture. It also there's a, there's kind of a, another mode where or uh, it's not really the way to say it. In the the app mode where an app is projecting UI onto this thing, there's something that is called the control strip, which there'll be a link in the show notes. It's a very old name. Uh, old Mac users will know that name from the classic Mac OS. But the control strip takes some of your system functions. So best I can tell, uh, it takes your um, brightness and volume and Siri. I think that's kind of the, de- the default four, and you can s- scrub back and forth in there. So it's like system stuff that's always present. So... Even if you're in photos and you're scrubbing through an album, you always have brightness and volume available to you. I think that's when the escape key pops up as well. Yes, the escape key is also in this view. So that that makes a lot of sense to me. The, the things that you know, we talked about it when these rumors broke that like I kind of want brightness and volume all the time, and this is a way to to have that and also have this smart stuff. So. I think they've made the right compromises. I want to see how, how it works in practice, of course. But apps can hide them, right? Like, you can have them pushed off to the side. Yeah, and then I think you can bring them back in if you want them. So there'll be some learning there. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how strictly they're going to enforce the HIG on this. It may be that some apps do a poorer job at it than others. But I think there will be some sort of common use that, you know, sort of gels and that good Mac apps will will do that. Something that I thought was really cool was the fact that you can customize it. Like it, when you're in Finder and stuff, you're able to customize the buttons that you can drag and drop new ones onto the bar, depending on the types of things that you need. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so you can finally get rid of Apex, per se. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you know? It, it, I, I just thought that was really cool because it's like, yes, of course you can do that. Right. And yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was really sweet. Like, because it's like now in many applications, I can have two toolbars. I can have a toolbar on the screen. I can have a toolbar in the app and I get like double the functions. Like thinking about logic, you know, like I have a bunch of buttons in, in logic, which are easy to get to. I can now double the amount of, lo- of buttons I can have available. Right. Which didn't get any uh, stage time today. Just Final Cut did. Womp womp. Yeah, it'll get there. The mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it seems like from what I saw today, I'm impressed. And I think that they have thought through all the problems that I could think of, at least. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they've a lot of problems that I didn't think of. It seems like it makes sense. It seems like it's going to be a consistent experience. Um, I, I do think there'll be a funny thing that happens if people who buy these machines will like do something and then reach up and touch the screen itself. Like I, It just seems like a very natural accident. It's going to break your brain. Yeah. Um, um, something we didn't mention. Fast user switching via Touch ID. The Mac gets a feature before iOS does. I mean, the Mac has had fast user switching 
for like a decade. Someone said that on Twitter, like, oh, fast user switching came to the Mac. It's like, no, it's been there a long time. I'm not saying that fast use, that user switching is, is new. It's the fact that you can change user with the use of the fingerprint. Right, which is how I would assume they would... I mean, that would be a smart way to do it on the iPad. Um, but uh, right now, the fast user switching on, like, the educational realm iPad stuff is a little a little weird, but... The thing is, though, like, whilst this is cool, the laptop's the wrong product for that. How many people share laptops? I think I mean I think they did it because the Mac already had fast user switching and I'm yeah. sure it wasn't a big deal to add. You it. may as well do it because you can, but like Right. And it's a sweet demo, right? Like um it's a sweet demo. And mm-hmm. I think people I mean people share iPads, people share laptops. Um for schools that you know end up with MacBook Pros that aren't many, uh they will appreciate it. I think I mean like I have a user on my wife's MacBook, and she has a user on my computer. There's yeah. not a lot of stuff in that user, but like sometimes you sit down and you just you know want your synced Safari bookmarks. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's cool. The demo of that was awesome. Like he called Phil Schiller up from the crowd. Like Craig Federighi was on Fire Day. Can we just talk about how he ripped the black fabric off the MacBook Pros like he was a magician? Was that like, awesome? Federighi is the best in the world yes. ever. Everything. Uh, so he he calls Phil Schiller up and says, "Hey, you know, we share this Mac." And Schiller just walked over and touched it, and it logged into Phil's user. Like, yeah, that's great, great demo. So all in all, thumbs up from me. I think I, I want to spend some time with it, but um, mm-hmm. I think they they sold it. I think they sold it really well on stage, yeah. and I think I think the demos they drove were a really wide range. So you had Final Cut Pro, you had Photoshop, you had DG, uh, DJ Pro, which I haven't even talked about, like layering and fading music, like sweet sweet demo um i think they did a good job at showing this in a bunch of different contexts and so i'm excited to see what developers do with it it still is only on the macbook pro right this the Mm -hmm. magic keyboard doesn't have it so you don't have it on the imac or any other desktop you're foolish enough to buy right now the macbook doesn't have it what's left of the macbook airline doesn't have it it's just the macbook pro i assume it will spread i have questions about can they do it in a bluetooth keyboard you know for an imac but Assuming they get that worked out, I think that the adoption of this will be good now, but I think as it expands across the Mac line, hopefully the adoption will only go up and this will become part of what using a Mac is about. Like right now it's kind of an add-on for the MacBook Pro. When they when they eventually put it out in that keyboard, it's gonna be the heaviest keyboard in the world. Because they will have to make the entire thing a battery, right? Because it's powering a screen. But it is it is now. Really? Yeah, I mean, I think now if you open one up, it's a lot of battery in there. I mean, the the Magic Keyboard, I mean, I've got a Magic Keyboard 2. I've got one. The battery lasts for, like, months. I mean, it is it is nutty. So I think, I, I mean, I, they're not going to make it any taller. Uh, if anything, they're going to make it shorter. But um, it's uh, it's one of those things that, you know, hopefully spreads. <sighs> Whew. So, pricing. Mm-hmm. This is where things start to get weird. Because at the pricing seg- section of the, I was going to call it show, we'll call it a show, they introduced another computer. <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, here is, you know, we've just spent like an hour talking about the touch bar. Here's a MacBook Pro without one because it makes it cheaper. Weird, right? It's weird. Yeah. So let's start at the bottom and work our way up. And then I want to talk about what happened worldwide as well. So the 11-inch MacBook Air is gone, dead, no longer for sale. There are two 13-inch MacBook Air models, $999 and $1199, still for sale. It's the MacBook Air you could buy yesterday. It didn't even get a forced touch trackpad. It's the same MacBook Air that's been for sale for a year and a half or so. Uh, No change whatsoever. 
The 12 inch MacBook is the same as it was, uh, $12.99 and $15.99. So still too expensive to completely push out the MacBook Air. I, I, I firmly believe the MacBook Air only exists today to hit a price point that they can't get the MacBook down to $9.99. So the Air lives another day. You then move into the MacBook Pros. They are still selling what I have dubbed the classic MacBook Pro, which the Retina MacBook Pro you could buy yesterday. So no touch bar, thicker, you know. Uh, Comes in one color. One's one color, the older style keyboard. That is still um, still for sale on the 13 and the 15. So $12.99 and $19.99. And then you get to the machine, Mike, you were talking about. For $14.99, you can get a 13-inch MacBook Pro with the new design, the new display, you can get it in space gray. It comes with two Thunderbolt 3 ports, so not four, only two ports, and no touch bar and no touch ID. So it has the hardware function keys like before. This is the machine that I don't... I understand why it's there. It's, again, it's price, because now the cheapest MacBook Pro you can get otherwise is $17.99, which is more than it used to be. Uh, these touch bar machines are more several hundred dollars more expensive than the counterparts they replace. But this machine, this $14.99 MacBook Pro, is a weird, weird machine. That it's it's has the new design, but doesn't have the hallmark feature of the new design. This is a machine that I firmly believe will exist for one generation, maybe two. I don't think this is a long-term product for Apple. I think this is a, uh, oh, these are too expensive. We can't start the MacBook Pro line at $1,800. We need something in the middle. And I think people will buy this machine. We're going to get to it in a minute. I'm considering this machine amongst my many options, but it's something that is got to be temporary because it, it, it just strips out all the cool new stuff. And it's kind of a crummy machine, like two ports, um, the keyboard that some people may not like. It's just hanging out of that $1,500 range purely for a price. And then you get, Super expensive in a hurry. $1799, $1499, gets you the 15 inch. Um, I saw somewhere you can max one out. Like it's it's you know well over three thousand dollars in the United States, close to four, if not over four. Super expensive machine still. And it's just a lot of price points. You look at these in a in a graph, there's like a, a machine every one or two hundred dollars. And that's something that Tim Cook's Apple is a big fan of. I mean, similar to the iPad. If you max out the 15-inch, you can get to $4,299. Woo! It's a bunch of money. That's a lot of money. So so what happened in your neck of the woods with pricing, Mike? Everything went up. All Macs went up. Every single one of them. Um, which is upsetting. For example, the Mac Pro went up by 500 pounds. Uh, the uh, Mac Mini went from three ninety nine to four seventy nine. The four K iMac went from eleven ninety nine to fourteen forty nine. The iMac five K went from fourteen forty nine to seventeen forty nine, and the MacBooks went from uh, I think it was one thousand and forty nine to twelve forty nine at the base. Hmm. They just put it all up, and I know why they've done it: currency fluctuations and that kind of stuff. But I. Right. There is a part of me that thinks that putting up the the computers that they didn't update now is a little bit unacceptable, especially the Mac Pro. You should have just not done that one or the Mac <laughs> Mini, right? Yeah. If you're not making enough on those by now, 
then you know you shouldn't have done it. It went up because the exchange rate is different. The the economy is very different in Europe now post Brexit. That's why all of this has happened. Uh, but it's a real shame that you could have. I could have woke up this morning and bought a Mac, um, and then it's multiple hundreds of pounds more expensive a few hours later. It's a, mm-hmm. it's just an unfortunate thing that's happened. Uh, they should have just put all these prices up at the same time whenever they were ever going to do it because the iOS devices, this has already happened to. Yeah. I mean, clearly they just used the opportunity when recently the machine just to refresh the entire store. But I agree with you, especially on the Mac Pro, that's pretty terrible. And um, the Mac Pro, did, of course, didn't get an update. I think the consensus now is, the, you know, the next Xeon's going to be ready in the spring. Maybe we'll see a Mac Pro in the spring or at WWDC. At this point, um, if you haven't, if it hasn't passed it already, it's got to be getting close. In which, if you bought Apple Care on your Mac Pro and you bought it early, that Apple Care is like ending pretty soon. And that's with no update is just really pathetic. <laughs> yeah. But but the Mac Mini didn't get an update, and the iMac didn't get an update either. And I I really figured even if it didn't get press, that those two machines um, would at least get Thunderbolt three. In USB-C. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a late-breaking rumor the iMac wasn't ready uh, for whatever reason. Who knows? Um, and the Mac Mini's been up to, haven't been updated in so long. Like, <laughs> it seems like it's really end of life. Uh, but it's still for sale. You can still buy it. But the, the chipset they would put in the Mac Mini is out. Like, they, they could have done it. Uh, there's room in it. Clearly, they're not going to redesign it. Like, a spec bump there would have been really appreciated. But they continue to sit. Um, you know, this is the first time since they've gone Retina that the iMac didn't get a yearly update. They did 2014 and 2015 a year apart. So maybe this will be in the spring or WBDC at some point. Um, so that's still okay. But the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro, like, it, if you're if you're in the market for a desktop Mac, the only one that's remotely okay to buy is the iMac. And even that's probably not a great idea unless you get refurbished because of the, the price. And, you know, today was just about notebooks and really just about one notebook. And I think it, it left a lot of people feeling, including me, that the desktop line just, like, we already had the sense that it wasn't important and it really feels downplayed now. And, like, if you're in the market for a Mac, unless you wanted to spend a lot of money on a notebook, your options based today are basically the same as they were. Like, you can get a MacBook Air for the same price, you can get a MacBook for the same price, or you can get a desktop that <laughs> missed another update, that didn't, made another event without an update. I was not expecting us to finish this year without any other of those Macs being updated, the Mini, the Pro, or the iMac. Me neither. And it's, you know, the the Mac Buyer's Guide is still mostly red because these machines didn't get an update. And that's a big bummer. And, you know, I like the iMac. I like the Mac Mini. And to see them continue to languish, like, you know, the Mac Mini is particularly interesting that the last update it got, they actually made it a lot worse. They got rid of the quad-core option. They remember, there's a big run on quad-core Mac Minis, and still when they pop up, people jump on them. But this current one is dual-core. You can't upgrade it inside. Even though the chassis is the same, they soldered everything, so you can't update it. And people buy those, and I think Mac Minis have a really long life. I think a lot of people will use them like I do as like a home server or hooked up to your television. Or to stream podcasts for a podcast network. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, one relay the live stream is on one of those quad core Mac minis that is like, I don't know, like five or six years old now. And we just put a hard, uh, we just put a new drive in it. But other than that, it's been rock solid. Like people are interested in these machines just because they're not exciting to Apple or just because they're not the biggest money maker. 
doesn't mean that they don't have a fan base and that there aren't people who who are buying them and would be better served from newer technology. And it's just a real bummer that, that continues to be the case. I'm really surprised about the iMac. Yeah. That's the one that surprises me the most. Yeah, the rumor about it not being ready, I mean, I guess you can read that as it's due and they something happened, but the people who used to buy Mac Pros buy high-end iMacs, right? Like, you have one. We're going to talk about it in a minute. I now have one. Um, de- we all know developers who have gone from the Mac Pro to the iMac. The iMac is, the high-end at least, is a power user machine now. And so to bring Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C to your power user notebook, but to leave your power user desktop behind um, is not ideal. And maybe they'll get this worked out and maybe in sometime before the end of the year an, an iMac will get like a PR update and it'll be good to go. But for now, it's still dated and that's a, it's a real bummer. Real bummer. I know Federico's really torn up about it. Yeah, yeah, so. very much. I'm just so upset. I know. I, I, you're speechless with... Um, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, Federico, at one point, you we spoke about um, your MacBook Air and it's oh, seen better days. And I think at one point, we talked about, like, does a Mac Mini make sense for Federico? Like, that you could put your betas on, although you don't need to do that anymore, but you could have a Mac for the few Mac things you need, but like a Mac... Mac Mini would be super cheap. Like, do you have any interest in doing that at this point? What What's the best uh, Mac that I can buy that runs Skype? Can you tell <laughs> um, me? Probably a MacBook. The cheapest Mac. Yeah. Probably I the guess. MacBook. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this MacBook Air is really reaching the end of its life. It's five years old. It's missing a key. The top row sometimes of the keyboard doesn't work. Uh, it's slow. Uh, when it runs modern apps like Slack, for example... You can hear the fans. I mean, it keeps me warm in the winter and it makes me sweaty in the summer. But I guess within the next year, it will it will die for good. You know what? Maybe you should just buy a MacBook Air. Is this a, supposed to be a joke? Or? No, no be serious. Cheap. It's, the, it's really? the cheapest. You yeah. have US, regular USB ports on it so you don't need adapters. You still have MagSafe and 12-hour battery life. I think you should probably get another MacBook Air. How much does it cost? Let me find out. Let me go to the Italian website. He's going to go look. Um, and I, I mean, I was going to ask about the Mac Mini because I think at one point we talked about that. But like, even like even now, you're choosing between older machines. So like, my, my point in all of this is that Apple really didn't fix the problem with the Mac line today. They fixed the problem with the MacBook Pro, but the Mac line in general is still about as sad as it was before the hello again event. And I was hoping that this would not be the case. I was hoping to come on here today and be talking about six different machines and being super excited about everything. Yeah. And I'm excited about the MacBook Pro, but the rest of it still makes me sad. <laughs> the MacBook Air 13 inch with 128 gigabytes of storage is 1100 euros. That's hmm. way too expensive. Yeah. I mean, I can buy a MacBook for less, I think. No, the MacBook's more expensive now. This is part of the the price hike. Yeah, you got Brexited as yeah. well. It, the MacBook now, the standard MacBook is fifteen hundred euro. Wait, what? Yeah, the standard MacBook is fifteen hundred euro now. Yeah, they put them up. They all went up today. 
Uh, is this because of you people, Mike? Don't you people me. <laughs> All right. I'm not having well, this fight with you. I know, Easy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of this today. A lot of people blaming me for some reason for their computers being more expensive. Yeah. You're the only British person they know. Mm-hmm. It's your scapegoat. The the dagger in the heart, I think, though, is the LG Ultra Fine 5K <laughs> display. So we have a couple of links in the show notes. According to Phil Schiller, on stage, Apple worked with LG to design this display. So it uses Thunderbolt 3. See if any of this sounds familiar. Close your eyes unless you're driving. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. And see what display comes into mind. You can hook your MacBook up or your MacBook Pro up to it. It can charge and move data across the single cable. You can plug in all sorts of stuff to the back of the display, almost as if it were like a dock. They reinvented the Thunderbolt display, but it's LG branded and it's not Apple branded. And it looks like a great display. If I was going to buy a new MacBook Pro and a new external display, I would look at this, right? Because Apple doesn't have a solution. But what this says to me is that Apple's, I don't think Apple's going to make a display at this point. I thought that they may. Um, and, you know, when they when they first shipped the Mac Pro, I think they pointed at LG and said, hey, it's 4K. If you want a 4K display, go over here and buy it. But we all thought that they would get around to it. And today would have been the day to do it. When you have your new MacBook Pro, you're talking about Final Cut and Photoshop and all this stuff. Pros want a, Mac, a MacBook Pro and a big display. Today is the day to announce it. And what do they do? They announce an LG that they partnered with. And I think they're just done. I think they're done with the display business. And... That makes me sad because, you know, the Thunderbolt display was really nice for a really long time. And the displays before that were really nice. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a retina display. I think this is no. it now. This has got to be it. Um, there's people in the chat room talking about external GPU monitors. I don't know about any of that. I don't know if, what this has in it. But the fact that Apple worked with them and it got keynote time and you can buy it from Apple on their online store. Like, this seems like this is the direction Apple's going in. They're going to point you to other places for a display. Because, you know, they could have done the LG one today and they could have said, and if you want an Apple branded one, uh, you know, with built-in eyesight camera and built-in speakers and maybe more IO or something else cool that it does, you know, we have an option as well and it's $500 or more. That would have been totally fine. You have a cheap LG version or less expensive, not cheap, less expensive LG option then you have like a really nice Apple option, but it's just the one. And at this point, if they release a new cinema display at some point, I will be shocked. This seems like... They're going third-party options only, which again, totes bummer. I don't think they sell enough of the computers that connect to this. Can I ask you? Can I ask you guys a question before we move towards the end? But you gotta be honest. Yes. Okay. So there was a Microsoft event yesterday. <laughs> I was gonna bring this up. Apple event today. Now be honest. Which event left you more excited? So I didn't watch the Microsoft event, but I have spent, I've just like watched a couple of videos about the, the Surface Studio. Uh, that compu- I'm more excited about that computer um, because with the way that I personally work, the work that I do on a Mac, I edit audio and I edit video and I do them using a Wacom tablet and a trackpad. I imagine a beautiful world in which I would use a pen on a screen and my hands to move everything around. For the work that I do, this is 
a fantastic machine for me. It just has one big problem in that it doesn't it run the operating Windows. system that I want to use. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know what the thing is, right? I was thinking about this today. If I used Adobe's products, if I used Premiere and Audition, I would probably buy one of these computers because my Mac is is, is for a specific purpose now. It's to do those two things. It's all I do with it. If I used multi-platform applications, that would f- su- like would suffice. If Apple made Final Cut and Logic for Windows and it was good, then I would be able to use a device like this. Just because for the way that I use inputs, the input methods that I use, this computer has been designed around where I am bringing th- like in fifty percent of it a third-party peripheral to my Mac, which is like pretty well supported. Like, you know that, that that so I'm more excited about that computer personally. If Apple made it, if Apple brought this out, my iMac would already be in the trash. Like I would buy this computer so <laughs> fast because it's it's the type of it it has the input methods that I prefer to use. For I use them for comfort. I use them for RSI, and now I'm faster with them. And I have my kind of my workflow is built around them on this machine. And and for me, it is purely because like my Mac is a production tool, and so it it can't all of the other software on my Mac does not matter if it, it's not used to produce audio and it's not produced, it's not made to produce video. It doesn't matter. Like it, it just doesn't matter. So there you go. I think I think the Surface Studio is super interesting, and I, I I tweeted the other day that like. Apple hasn't really pushed the boundaries of the iMac in a long time. That the iMac that we have today is more or less the iMac G5, right? It's an LCD with a foot and the computer on the back of it. It's gotten skinnier and the display has gotten way better. But the form factor hasn't changed since really the G4. It's the last one that was innovative as far as a uh, form perspective. And I don't know if the, this machine is going to take off. I think that there are going to be people who really like it, people who like to work the way Mike does with a pen and with his hands. Uh, and I'm not saying Apple should should copy it. I'm not saying the iMac should do that. What I am saying is that it would be interesting to see Apple expand some of the technology it already has. So, like, why can't I use an Apple Pencil on the giant trackpad on this new MacBook Pro? Why can't I at least have the option of an iPad that's even bigger? Than twelve point nine inches that I could that you could edit on comfortably at your desk and hunch over and 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 use both hands comfortably and I, I'm not saying those machines are for everybody. I don't want touch a touch enabled Mac. A Mac OS is nowhere near ready for touch as far as a user interface. But there are people who do want to be more in the middle and having options there is good. And honestly, I was when they when they showed that big trackpad today, I was like, oh. What if you could use a pencil with it? That would be really, really interesting. You could edit at a MacBook Pro with your pencil mic. Like that would be, um, that would be a big change potentially mm-hmm. for someone who works like you. But they're not doing it. They are really locked into their form factors. The MacBook Pro we have today, kind of the same design since 1991. And I'm not saying change it for change's sake. I'm not saying the Surface Studio is going to be a giant hit. I don't think it will be. I think it'll be a, a niche product. But we don't see Apple take risks with their hardware like that. And I think that it's super interesting that Microsoft is taking a 
big run at Creative Professionals on the desktop, and that was Apple's bread and butter for like 20 years. So I've been thinking about this. This product reminds me of your iMac. And it's interesting to me, like this Surface Studio, when I say your iMac, I obviously mean the G3, right? Like I think right. I think you got it. Uh, this product will not sell in large volumes, but Microsoft is targeting the creative professional. This was what Apple did to bring themselves back to the fore, right? Like I think everybody can agree that the iMac G3 put them on the path that brought that made them the most successful computer company in the world. It's totally. not saying that anybody that follows that could do that, you know, lightning in a bottle and all that, but that was what did it. If I'm Satya Nadella, maybe this is what I will try as well. Like I want to be seen as the most innovative, dominant computer maker in the world again. So why don't I go mm-hmm. back to basics and start over? I will say that like the Surface Book, whilst interesting, is not as exciting to me as the MacBook Pro. Right, like it's not Windows, it's not Surface. That computer, the Surface Studio, is more interesting to me than the MacBook Pro. But Apple's for Apple's sake, right? Like the laptops that they released, I don't want that. I want a MacBook Pro. I don't want this. Sure. I don't want the Surface Book, even though I think that is a very cool looking device. It doesn't give me what I'm looking for. The reason I think the Studio is interesting is just with the way that I work, the tools that I use, it fits me better. But I'm not going to be moving. Was that the answer you expected, Federico? Yes, yes, it's a very good answer. Um, I ask because I I have no interest in either Pro Max or the Surface Studio. I just feel like it feels like something new, and I mean this the Studio in a maybe deeper way than a Touch Bar. I think the Touch Bar is awesome. I think it makes total sense for the MacBook. I think it's a very clever mm-hmm. way as I said, of bringing iOS to macOS. But the Surface Studio, just judging only from the video, it feels like something new. And maybe in practice, it'll be terrible. Maybe there's going to be some seriously bad flaw with the hardware. I don't know. Uh, but I, I saw, you know, the, the Penny Arcade uh, guy with his review. It sounds like a fantastic computer if you're into that line of work and it looks different. And so that's why I wanted to ask, because the touch bar is also different, but I feel like the Surface Studio, uh, Microsoft is doing good work in, you know, trying things differently, which is kind of weird to say of Microsoft, but that's where we've ended up, I guess. Yeah, that's that's kind of where they are as a company right now, because they have a visionary CNO, CEO, I think, in, in the... Uh, um, so... I was going, I've been talking for weeks about the fact that I was waiting for the next laptops to be released and then I was going to be replacing my MacBook Pro, right? That's been the plan for a while because I want a more purpose travel machine. I want something that's mm-hmm. thinner, something that's lighter. So I looked at the MacBook Pro. It's thinner. It's lighter. It has the touch bar, which I think looks really cool, and it has all of the power. Now, there was. I am not buying a MacBook Pro, and there are two reasons. One Price is a reason, right? But I had saved up enough money, I put aside enough money to buy a professional laptop. So the increased price from what I thought I would be is not is not a lot more based on what I'd saved, right? Um, they're expensive, but you know it was going to be something that's going to last me multiple years. The one of the main reasons I've decided to not go for the MacBook Pro is the main advancement 
will be no benefit to me, the touch bar, because I will only use this machine a handful of times a year where I, you know, I maybe will use it for like a couple of months a year in total. Um, mm. If I, I can't get used to it. I can't allow myself to get used to that because I can't use it for the rest of the year. Right? It, it's not a good thing for me to have th- this like split experience like that. So that's the main reason. So I bought a MacBook. I bought a gold MacBook. Um, I bought the the one the, the the higher tier up. So the MacBook Adorable, like the what is it? I can't even remember what it is. It's like one point three gigahertz or something. It's nothing. But I went onto the Apple website and saw that the prices had gone up, and I was un I was unhappy about that. Uh, because I could have just bought it this morning, and it would have been I would have been getting the same computer. So I thought to myself, well, Apple have put the price up. Apple is not the only place that you can buy a MacBook from. So I bought it from a department store chain here called John Lewis at yesterday's price. So nice. I saved I saved three hundred pounds, which I was very I was very proud of myself for doing that. Um, I'm now will spend that savings on adapters. Uh, but this is the machine. <laughs> this is the machine that I think will be the best for me. It's going to be really upset when I want to edit podcasts and video on this, but I can live with that because what I will be doing is reducing the the space needed in a bag and the weight significantly, which mm-hmm. really is the, is the key thing that I need to do when I'm traveling. So there you go. That's right. what I have. I got a MacBook. So we haven't even talked about it on the show yet, but I. Uh, several weeks ago, picked up a refurbished 5K iMac from Apple. You can buy a refurbished machine. They warranted them as new, which is really nice. Um, so I got a, a pretty loaded iMac for like $600 off. And I figured if they update them today, it'd be a little bit of a bummer, but I already have a ton of like USB Thunderbolt stuff. And, you know, my studio setup is pretty stable at this point, so I won't won't be changing out a lot of stuff. And so... Sold the 15-inch MacBook Pro that I've had the last year and a half. And so I, too, am in the market for something thin and light to travel with. And to, I, I do some other stuff in town where I, I need a laptop. But I, I don't need a 15-inch MacBook Pro. The iMac is now my main machine. The, the MacBook would be secondary. And so I, I like you, waiting till today's event, see what's going to happen. And I am really, really on the fence about what to do. The 13-inch with the touch bar, of course, is enticing to have the new technology. Uh, it's still thin and light. It's, you know, in the class of the MacBook Air. It's actually a little bit smaller footprint. And it looks nice, but it's, you know, $1,800 is hard to justify for a secondary computer. Uh, I, I could do it. It's in the budget, but um, I'm not quite sold on that yet. And again, being a secondary machine, the touch bar stuff may only get in the way. It may be that because I don't have it on the iMac where I'm working every day, that I don't really ever get the benefit of it on the notebook and that maybe it's frustrating to have it one place and not the other. And so then I considered the uh, super strange new MacBook Pro new design without the touch bar. It's got the function key still. It's cheaper, um, still thin and light, still pretty powerful, uh, but it'd have a retina display which would be nice, but still adapting. And for things that I need on the road, having things like an SD card slot and USB-A are still pretty, pretty nice, pretty 
common things I do if I'm on the road doing podcasting or live events or something like that. And so I turn to the MacBook Air. Same as it was yesterday. It's, it's cheap. There's you know the display is really crummy, but it has a bunch has USB ports, it's Thunderbolt port, has an SD card slot, still obviously thin and light, and still works with all the other stuff I have for the iMac. So I'm not talking about, you know, oh, if I take my USB interface with me, I need to remember to take the adapter or a different cable than if I'm at home and and I'm using the cable on the desk. And so I I haven't made a decision yet. Um, The MacBook Air would be the cheapest and probably the easiest to live with. But I know that I'm a nerd and I know that uh, at some point I will want to try the new stuff. And so the you know the MacBook Pros to call to me as well, and since they are more or less the same size and weight, that really only complicates it because I want something that's light and and thin. I don't want the MacBook. I need more. I would like more than one port. Um, I would like a, a more powerful processor. Um, so for me, the Air versus the Pro conversation is really tricky, and I've been without a laptop now for a couple of weeks, and it's been okay. I've gotten by. But the new MacBook Pros in the U.S. are shipping two to three weeks out. That was a couple hours ago, maybe longer now. And so can I wait, you know, another couple of weeks? Or do I get the MacBook Pro that's cheaper, still light and thin, but has regular function keys? I I really don't know. Like, I I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to try to make a decision this weekend. But it's it's really confusing. Like, when when we went through the price stuff a couple minutes ago... There's a lot of options now, and if you're looking for a 13-inch laptop, um, you got a lot of options, more than ever. And if you count the 12-inch being pretty close to size, you got even more. And so I think Apple will, will end up simplifying the line. I can see a world in which the MacBook Air goes away, and I kind of wonder if, it, if if the MacBook Air was gone, if this, this non-touch bar... MacBook Pro may have been called the MacBook Air or may have been called MacBook. Like the names are all really confusing right now, but um, I'm really on the fence. So I've I've gone over you know pros and cons, and we'll see where I end up. But it's um, even for somebody like me who knows what they're looking at and kind of knows what they want to a degree, it's still a confusing time. I think the practical decision is the Air, probably. But knowing you as I do. I know you're never going to be happy with that. Probably. And you'll buy the Air and then just buy the MacBook Pro six months later. Probably. Yeah. So I think you, uh, should, you should just buy the MacBook Pro and then the uh, the, yeah. the bags of dongles you're going to need. Yeah, and, and you know what I may do is um, try it without the touch bar and see if that's enough. You know, because um, not having the touch bar in both machines really feels like it's going to be frustrating. That when I edit on the laptop... Um, or when I'm working on the laptop that I'm going to get used to it and then, then I'm going to want it on the iMac or that it really gets in the way on the MacBook because I'm not used to it. And um, so for me, what I may end up doing is the MacBook Pro without it. I can get it much sooner and I, I'm not in a world where I have it one place, not the other. And then if they ever add to the iMac through external keyboard or something, um, then look at doing it. It also makes that machine $300 cheaper. And for a secondary machine, that's, um, that is a factor. Right, especially if I'm going to do Apple Care. So we'll see. I guess I'll follow up with that next week. Yep. All right. You uh, asked the listeners some, some connected QA. Do you want to run through those before we finish? Sure. So I just pulled out three. Uh, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, the first one being 
Is anyone worried about accidentally shutting down the Mac when using Touch ID? So a word on the street is the Touch ID sensor is also the power button. My guess is that it only works as a Touch ID button when macOS tells it to, so at login or um, during Apple Pay. Now, maybe with uh, fast user searching, it's always listening, but uh, right now, if you click the power button on a laptop, uh, you ha- you actually have to like hold it down, and then, then after you hold it down for like three seconds, the system asks, are you sure you want to shut down your computer now? And you have options like sleep or restart or cancel or shut down. And so you're not going to accidentally turn the computer off because you're going to have to like hold and press or maybe you have to hold function and then press it. I don't really know, but I'm not worried about accidentally like turning it off. I would like to think that if there is a touch ID purchase needed, at least like, you know, an Apple Pay purchase, like that you wouldn't be able to turn it off at that moment. Yeah. You know, I don't know. So the second one from Stephen FCB, talking about the dongles I get, how would I charge my iPhone on this laptop? Apple does sell a USB to lightning cable. It's like 20 bucks. Um, or you can get a USB-C to USB-A adapter, which if you're going to buy any adapters, that's probably going to be the one you're going to buy. So you can hook up all your regular USB stuff. So totally doable. It's super weird. The iPhone, like the iPhone is a weird product because they can't put USB-C lightning cables in the box because there are only some Apple machines and high-end PCs are using USB-C. Like most people... If they plug an iPhone into a computer at all, it's probably a PC uh, where USB-C has not made great inroads yet. So I think it may be a while before you get USB-C in the box, but you can buy a Lightning cable. Yeah, we, um, I think we all use those, right? Like we have the fast charger for the iPad. That is the USB-C yeah. to Lightning. Yes. Um, so they're, they're definitely out there, and I think that's... Um, it's just kind of going to be a little weird if you buy this, you're going to need to buy a cable. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one was about the naming... Um, about, you know, talking about the, the MacBook versus MacBook Pro versus MacBook Air. This is from uh, Brando. Um, uh, do you think Apple screwed up the naming? 12-inch should be Air, 13 with function keys, MacBook, 13 to 15 with Touch Bar Pro. I think the naming would be more clear if they started out this way, but remember the naming is like generations old. And yeah. the MacBook Air name comes from 2008 when it really was way thinner and way lighter than anything else. And it's just like baggage from the past. And the MacBook Air will go away at some point, and it'll be the MacBook and the MacBook Pro. Uh, and I think that middle MacBook Pro without the touch bar will eventually go away too. So like they, yep. they are on the track to sanity. They're just not quite there yet. I think the next time that these computers get updated, we'll lose both the Air and that weird MacBook, the function key MacBook. That will go, right. as you say. They will both go away, and then we'll just... There was a time where it was just MacBook and MacBook Pro, and then products have come and gone right out of that lineup and they've shuffled the names around over time. I, I think that we're in a transition period from a branding perspective as well as everything else. Yeah. And it's, it is more awkward than it was uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. no doubt, but it's just something that they just have to work through. All right. If you want to catch our show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash connected slash one, one, four. Thank you so much to smile for sponsoring this week's episode. If you want to find Federico's online, Federico's online. You you can find him <laughs> on the line. Uh, he, he is at where are you? MacStories.net? That's the that's the one, right? I think that's where yeah, you that's, where you write. That's my website. Yes. Okay, good. On the line, and uh, Stephen is at five twelve pixels.net. Federico is at Viticci on Twitter, V I T I C C I. Stephen is at I S M H, and I am at I Mike I M Y K 
E. As always, thank you for listening. I am not going to be here next week. It's just the two of you. I am going to be on location at the All Conference in Ireland. Uh, me and Jason will be recording Upgrade from All, and we'll get his opinions on all of this stuff because he's actually had his hands on those machines as well in the in the reviewers area. So looking forward to talking about that. And I will have a MacBook as well by that point. Hooray for me. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.